All right, Paul. Well, yesterday you and I attended the Oshawa Generals game, which I had my notepad in hand, of course, given my public address announcing um, interests. And I do want to say I have a headache this morning because I consumed not one, but two salty hot dogs. Yeah, I was just going to say you had a... I thought you were going to say you consumed a couple of beers, which you you did, which is to be expected. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, there are some really suspect uh, salty hot dogs that you're devouring. And, uh, Wait, okay, what do you mean by that? Like, what, well, what makes just, that a, it, okay, what's suspect about because it? Because they're on a roller. Like, any hot dog you buy from a snack bar is going to be <laughs> suspect because it's it's on it's on one of those roller things. It's not things. on a roller, yeah, is it? Of course it is. Where else would roller. it come from? They, well, they wasn't it a foil? It was, they don't it have was a foil barbecue wrapped. in the back. There's no barbecue. Of course, it's on a roller, one of those glistening under the heat lamp. I think they have a grill. Um, and and I do agree. I think it was glistening under heat lamp, but I think it was cooked in the back on like a a fry, like one of those flat grill things. Whatever you call it. not not barbecue, but like a hot thingy. Okay, well we'll we'll have to research that next time we we go see a game. We'll we'll kind of peer in the back and in, in the kitchen there and see if there's a, an actual grill arrangement of some kind. But. Either way, yeah, it's one of Go those... Go behind the scenes yeah. of the Oshawa General's uh, food food m- machine, whatever it is. Yeah, but it, either way, it's one of those food items you buy from a snack bar that you know you're going to have shocking indigestion at three in the morning. Did, did you? I, I, I'm, no, I'm proud, happy, not proud. <laughs> proud, yeah, proud. Happy to say... I did not wake up midnight, middle of the night with like, you know, uh, throwing up into the toilet... Or uh, anything like that. Back Just, to but I did, or something, yeah. But I did have a dull ache in my head, so and okay. I'm pretty sure it was the the, the hot dog. So it gave you a bit of a headache, then. Yeah, it's to be understood. But yeah, you're right. Not something to be proud of. The fact that you can consume, you know, horrible snack foods and not feel the repercussions uh, throughout the the uh, the evening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to share something else this morning that that's going on. There's something going on in our house, actually, I want to just quickly share with you. So we're having a lot of trouble with the temperature in the house. And um, about two weeks ago, we called our furnace guy and wanted to get it checked out. Of course, they said, oh, there'll be $150 diagnostic charge for that. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, the thing that we called the company that installed the furnace years ago. So we've used these guys a few times. The problem is it just doesn't seem to want to, they, they came out, checked it out fine. But the problem, and what the problem is, is that it's just staying at like 18 degrees Celsius and, and it'll go up later in the day, but I'm, I, I don't know what's going on. I've looked at the schedule. It's one of these eco B thermostats like you know the smart thermostats something isn't right and i'm kind of getting frustrated how old is the furnace though like is this something that is on its way out do you need to get it no 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 it's it'd be like maybe seven years old oh okay well i'm not sure what high efficiency furnace and Hmm. and yeah it just came down this morning is at 18 and i've got the settings that it's supposed to go to 18 through the night but it should be up to 20 during the day, so I, I don't know what's going on. Okay. But it's frustrating. <laughs> and I don't want to call these people back and get them to charge me another $150. So, what, like, do I call another company, maybe? or? Yeah, I think I would. Um, for me, I actually have my furnace through, like, a protection plan uh, through Enercare, which is one of the uh, 
for those of you not in the Toronto area, Enercare is sort of like a, a natural gas provider, and there's like a, like a protection plan you can buy. Where what does that mean? So what it means is that you know you pay like a monthly amount, and it 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 acts as like a warranty. So this this monthly well, I think for like an annual cost, you're probably paying maybe maybe three hundred bucks. But it's actually a good deal because that includes an annual servicing, which would have cost about 150 bucks anyway. Yeah, um, it would, yeah. And if anything goes wrong with the furnace, like if it requires any replacement parts, it's covered under this warranty. So hmm. especially when it comes to a furnace, it's one of those things you don't want it to, to crap out on, you know, Christmas Eve or something like that when when it's hard yeah. to get people out or you know, during the, the coldest stretch of the year and you're having to deal with an unheated house, um, it's nice to have that peace of mind. So I'd look into that. All right. Well, I'm going to figure out something here. Um, uh, else, well, other stuff going on? Sorry, I was just going to say, so when I come over to your house and wonder why it's so cold in there, I won't accuse you of being a cheapskate because you don't want to pay your heating bill. <laughs> yeah, like a Scrooge from Charles Dickens. Yeah, yeah. I'll wear my muffler around my neck. Okay, so we want to. We have a few topics. We want to talk a little bit about um, playing sports in our advanced age, which uh, for us is bite your tongue. We're not advanced. Well, some might think we are. Yeah. Probably our kids think we are. Yeah, um, playing sports in our forties plus now at this point, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about a topic we have discussed before, which is inheritances. And there's a couple things I want to share about that, and, and I think you have some thoughts as well. And uh, those are the two main ones. We might get to some other stuff, and then we'll finish up with what we're watching, listening to. Neither of us could find any weird news, so there's too much news going on anyway with this Ukraine situation. I think it's just, let's stay away from the news, whether it's weird or not. Yeah, we're kind of newsed out, if there is such an expression. Yeah, I, I try to... Trying to avoid the news. I've been trying to do that for the last two years with all of the, the doom and gloom over COVID. And now that that's finally starting to, to turn a, a positive note and we're bombarded with, with the Ukrainian situation. So not to make light of that, yeah. but it's just sometimes you just want to, you just want good news. You just want, you know, positive stuff in your life. Um, and, you know, why, why click on the news and walk away depressed? Isn't that a good thing that we didn't have, that we didn't find any weird news? Like, yeah, there's weird news stories out there, but there wasn't anything that really caught my attention as being really bizarre. So that's a good thing, right? People are actually, act, people are being responsible and uh, not doing any weird crap out there. Well, or it hasn't hit the news yet. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're, uh, these weird acts are in, in process right now. We'll, we'll uh, have to revisit that next week. Uh, one other thing before we get into our topics. Uh, last week, or I guess it was... Two weeks ago, we went to the Windsor Spitfires game and recorded an episode. Uh, mind you, it was after we had attended the game, uh, had uh, had imbibed a bit, uh, several beverages were consumed, and we decided, what a great idea, pull out the, the microphone and recording equipment and record an episode. And we listened to it on the way back. Windsor is, what, four hours-ish yeah, from about Toronto? Four hours, yeah, to Toronto. So we listened to the episode, and uh, I think throughout we could tell perhaps that uh, the influence of, of beverages were playing into the episode and in, impacting it. You more so than me. I think uh, you, you, I could definitely sense that you had a few in you. <laughs> I think I, I well, we could let 
Yeah. Hey, yeah, we could let the listeners decide. You know, we could, uh, you know, vote for whoever I think is the most inebriated. I'm sure you'll win. <laughs> but the debate we were having, sort of a debate, was whether or not we actually air this episode. Do we actually publish it as an episode? And whether or not maybe some people might be turned off, perhaps, by the fact that uh, we had done this episode in in that sort of condition. I vote yes. I think we should. Because... It's it's weird, although, yeah, we had a few in us, but I thought it was still a great conversation. I think we had some really interesting topics in there, and, uh, you know, for a couple of guys that were, you know, nearing the the end of a Saturday night with a few drinks in us, I think we were quite uh, philosophical, shall we say. And we listened to it when we were not under the influence so on the car ride home yes everybody we we did not drive home under the influence we the next day we went back to toronto and listened to it and so we are listening to it with sober ears you would say yeah actually it was better than i thought it was going to be so i i say we do it, it might need a lot of editing but uh, we'll have to see yeah, yeah. It, it'll explain first of all why we were in windsor and as you can probably deduce from now we we like to to watch ohl hockey games um, so yeah, well, we talk about all sorts of stuff like that. It'll, it'll be entertaining. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining. Yeah. I, I think you only live once and perhaps it's not a bad idea to, to put yourself into the public forum in, in both inebriated and non-inebriated states just for archival purposes, if nothing else. Is this to show that you're human? That that you yes. you are a real man and that you are capable of like bleeding and Having feelings. <laughs> we're not perfect people. Yeah, listeners, yeah. no, we're not perfect. Yeah, I know our listeners, you know, put us on a pedestal and think of us as, uh, you know, the, the podcast gods, but hey. We're so not we're, pure. Yeah, we're not completely. pure. We, we, are, we have our faults. Okay, Paul, softball season is coming up, and uh, what we've played together on the same softball team, and you call it softball. I, I It's slow pitch. Yeah, it's slow it's pitch. It's not yeah. baseball. But let's let's say it's slow pitch, which for the listeners, it's um, the 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 pitches are thrown underhand uh, at a minimum of six feet, maximum of twelve feet arc. So it is you know kind of lobbed in there for you. So it's meant for people who aren't looking for super super competitive, uh, at least from a pitching standpoint. But the, the sport can get competitive. We, however, play in a fairly yeah you know it's competitive, but it's not uh, it's not you know major league slow pitch mm -hmm. yeah um uh, slow pitch season is fast approaching um i have been playing well you probably longer than i have but um in terms of our slow pitch season it's got to be coming up well over 25 years since i've been on a team um you know you've played on and off for you know pretty much all your life mm -hmm. so yeah this is a fun time of season um, you know, looking forward to it, having some practices throughout the month of April season starts in May and yeah, you know, I really enjoy it. I've always said to myself, you know, the moment it stops being fun, then that's when I'll, I'll hang it up, I guess, but I'm still having fun. Um, not maybe not the player I was a couple of years ago, but I like to still think I can be competitive or, uh, contribute to the team effort. Um, but for, for me personally, I really enjoy the team camaraderie. 
um, the friendships, um, you know, hanging out with the guys. Um, yeah. Having some post-game beers after the game in the in the parking lot is kind of the best part in some ways. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, on our upcoming season? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I've toyed with perhaps hanging it up over the last few years. I, I do love playing, but I have thought I'm not the player I used to be, and especially in the field. Like, I can, I think I can still hit pretty well, but fielding-wise, my arm is just crap. <laughs> I know last year you had me play second base and shortstop, I think, a couple of, for one or two games because we just had some issues finding players. And uh, I was horrible. And I'm like, what am I going to do here? Like, I felt like I should go hire somebody to fix my my problems with throwing because mm. I I feel like I just start, like I, I, when I can't operate under pressure, you know, if I get a, a ball hit to me and I get it and I throw it, fr- like I panic, like I can't throw the ball. So uh, that's why I play first mostly, just I don't have to throw much, but I don't like that. That bothers me. Mm. I, I want to be better than i am and yeah that so that's i love playing though i do i do like playing for sure i love hitting yeah you raise a good point about i guess we think we are capable of doing more in our minds um no but i was like yeah like i was not doing anything like i was horrible like yeah, but I th- threw balls to first that were like twenty feet away from the target. Like, yeah, but and that's but then I don't again, like you, that. You, you hadn't played in a couple of years because of being away in Japan. So yes. yeah, I think you're being a little hard on yourself, and it's one of those things where if you're showing up to play once a week, you, you can't expect to be a superstar. And we do, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to um, to do well, and and we want to do our part to help the team win, which is understandable. But uh, as you said, we're in our 40s. Um, we're not the players we were back in our 20s. Um, you know, the fact that we are, we're there more for the, the beer and the, the salty hot dogs and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, we're there for the camaraderie. And just uh, I enjoy the social aspect of it because, you know, we have a, a really great team um, in terms of just really good guys. Um, everyone gets along well. There's no drama, um, at least pretty minimal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah I, I enjoy everyone's company. And, and that's why I love showing up on Sundays, if nothing else, just to hang out with the guys. And yeah. just to kind of make that your your guy time. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't do enough of. You know, in terms of being part of an organized group or sport, um, you know, it doesn't have to be sports per se. It can be like a some kind of a, a social club. But I think a lot of men our age and older don't do that. And, you know, you raised an interesting point about, you know, when we look at at our own fathers, I know my dad never played softball. He never really, you know, was part of a a social group of some kind. Um, And that was... No, and nor was mine. Yeah, and and you've commented that your dad was was the same as well, where he wasn't, uh, didn't play sports. But you know, I think it's important. Not in, not after he had a f- basically got married and had a family. Yeah, yeah. Sports he played as a kid, and I think he played a lot of sports. But it didn't. And this is also generational, I think, to a certain extent. Yeah. Like I don't know how many other people's parents played sports on an organized team in that generation. My dad's eighty; he'll be eighty-one this year. So 
that would be, say, my age now, I'm 49, and I've been playing since I was, what, well, since I was early 20s. For him, that would have been like playing in the 70s, like the early 70s, mm-hmm. um, through to like, you know, the 90, into the 90s or, or late 80s. Mm-hmm. And that generation, I don't know that that generation would have really done that. Yeah, it's hard to say because, yeah, we've been in the, uh, well, we play in the Pickering Men's Slow Pitch League. And, um, you know, that league has been around for a very, very long time. I think it was established back in the 1970s. So, you know, there's always been an interest in slow pitch um, throughout all parts of Ontario and in Canada. Um, I didn't so, realize the league was that old. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's been around for quite a while. And if anything, I think there was more teams playing in the league you know, back in like the 80s, the 90s. It was one of the biggest leagues. I know that. Yeah, it was one of the the biggest leagues at at one point. Um, One of the biggest leagues in Ontario. And if anything, I think the the membership, or I guess the amount of teams has probably decreased over the years. Um, I know I think probably within the, the last you know, maybe 10 or 12 years, there's probably been a net decrease of probably about 10 teams. Um, within the league. So it's, I'd Mm. be interesting to kind of do like a a research study as to, you know, did people play sports more in other generation in, you know, in, in our, in our parents' generation, you know, more so than, than our generation, you know, or is our generation being distracted by other things? Maybe, I don't know. There's more to do. Maybe more to do. Hard to say. There's more going on, I guess. Uh, you know, like if you look, for example, at, at uh, it's sort of off topic a bit, but sports, like watching sports on TV, a lot of kids today, I don't know how many kids you know, like say even 14-year-olds are sitting down and watching Blue Jays games and Leaf games, like turning it on and saying, I want to watch the game right now and then watching it for a couple hours. I I don't know that that's happening that that much yeah what I, yeah i think you're right on that because even for my own son he doesn't like he likes sports and he will watch bits and pieces of it but he won't sit down and watch an entire game from start to finish it it's doesn't doesn't interest him and i'm sure a lot of kids why, why is that do you think i think too much other yeah, stuff just too like, much distraction too much you know mental stimulation from video games and snapchat and god knows what else that scares me that's that yeah. that's i get really worried about that yeah. that this whole attention span thing and that you're right maybe they can't sit down and watch a baseball game for seven or eight innings mm-hmm. or even three innings because there isn't that dopamine hit that they're getting from you know, a 15 second TikTok video. Yeah. Well, I think they, well, I know in the case of my son, he likes to watch it live. Like he likes to go down to Jay's games and he likes to, mm-hmm. to go to the Oshawa General's games. And for the most part, I think he's, he's pretty engaged in the game. But I think with a lot of people these days, the, the attention span of watching stuff on TV, it's just, it's not there. You know, it's, uh, yeah, they think they'd rather be doing something else than watching a, a game on TV. But anyway, yeah. Did I, you watch games on TV as a as a kid? Uh, yeah, I think I did. I think I did. Um, just trying to think back that far, but uh, yeah, I'm, because I'm, me, I'm pretty sure I did. I was, I mean, a huge baseball fan, and I have to admit that I know I watched games as a kid, 
but I don't think that I necessarily watched full games or, you know, I would set up to watch a game with all the, the intent to watch the whole game, but I might only watch like three or four innings. Well, I, I should circle back by saying that, yes, when I was a kid, and this is probably in my teenage years, I was watching games because that was sort of like the, the glory days of the Jays, the 92-93 World Series winning teams. I think even even the Leafs were doing really well back then. So, yeah. When but you, what when age was this? How old were you? 15, I guess, 16. Yeah. So, yeah, if, you, if you're watching a winning team, that makes things a little bit more interesting to watch versus watching help, like yeah. a, a losing team. But anyway, I just sort of circling back to our original point about the softball or sorry, slow pitch season is that, um, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, as we are in our 40s, it's important that we carry on because I think once we sort of, quote unquote, hang him up, it's hard to go back. Um, I should know that there's uh, one of the guys on our team, he's 70 years old this year. Yeah. And he's still a great player. He's one of our most consistent players. Um, Good Lord. Sorry, my little beeper went off <laughs> oh, here. A little timer a thousand there. percent volume. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as I was saying, one of our guys on our team, he's he's 70 and he's he's an awesome Awesome guy, uh, great player, and, you know, he's the kind of guy I want to strive to be, you know, being active at the age of 70, where you're, you're still socializing, you're still hanging out with the guys, you're, you're still, um, you know, participating in an organized team sport. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's important for, for us to continue on that, and, and if we're having fun, don't overthink it. Just go out there every Sunday and... and you know, have fun with the guys and just treat it as, as your your own time. And I think it's important for our kids to see that that we play sports as well. Mm. Uh, because, you know, I think it, it sets an example for them. We can be, you know, as, as fathers, as, as role models to our kids, if they see that we're active well into, you know, 40, 40 and beyond, then that's a good thing. It makes me wonder, like, what would it have been like to watch my dad play sports bring me to the ballpark at, you know, nine, 10 years old and watch him play. Like, I don't have any memory of that because it didn't happen, but that would be kind of cool in a way because you get to see your father in a different way than, you know, when he leaves for work in a suit every day and comes home and then he's in the house and, you know, weekends doing stuff. But to actually go watch him do an activity like that with friends, i that would have been really cool, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that that is important to to have your kids see that you have a, a large so social circle, um, and to, to see them sort of you know let loose a little bit, have some fun, you know, just uh, joke around with the with the guys on the team with the you know the post game celebration or you know, post game beers, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's important and. You know, as I said before, I'm, I, my view is that I will have full intentions of playing until it stops being fun. And so far, I'm still having fun. This episode is brought to you by Pace Painting. Pace Painting, serving all your painting needs, whether commercial or residential. Reach Pace Painting at paintwithpace at gmail.com or via their Facebook page, Pace Painting, Inc. Or call Peter at 289 356 Four, four. Paint with pace.
Okay, we're going to talk about inheritances, and this is a topic that we did discuss a few, quite a few episodes ago. I think mostly focused on. I think the theme we had was expectations. That's right of an inheritance. Yeah, yeah. And should we expect, or should someone expect an inheritance? Yeah, absolutely. And what we're looking at here is about inheritances, and let's say if there's multiple siblings. Should the siblings or should the parent, let's start with the parents. As a parent, if you have multiple siblings, do you, how do you, you know, put your will together when it comes to multiple siblings or multiple, uh, sorry, multiple offspring in the case of parents? Do you just divide it evenly 50 50 if there's two or, you know, in thirds if it's three? And, you are you have one child so you have, yours is a no brainer i guess you're just if 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 you're going to leave money to your kid it's going to be all going to well maybe it won't be but you could of course not just leave all your money to your your kids it could be some to um you know a charity or to some other family perhaps um so what we wanted to talk about today was m- more specifically around you you're you have a brother i have a sister is is it the right thing to do for parents to leave uh, an even split whatever it is they leave whether they leave all of it or part of it should the siblings receive an equal share assuming there's an inheritance coming i don't think so i i, I think it's Whoever is is drawing up the will, it's your whoever mother. loves the parents the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever is, is the best child should get the most. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, but what I mean is that okay, if if you're creating a will, you should have all the freedom in the world to, to determine, you know, what percentage you want to give to to each child. Um, you know, I think there's again these expectations that there should be like a fifty fifty split if there's two or like every. Every child gets an even share. So you're but, saying, right, that you would not expect to receive the same amount as your, your sibling. That's not, like, your parents have the right to decide that. I'm not saying what they're, right is the wrong word, but is it f- fair for them to allocate a certain amount, a higher amount to one versus the other? So your brother, in your case... Yeah, I, I think if if they're of sound mind, if if that is that if that is their decision to give more money to a certain individual, you may not like that decision, but that is their that is their decision. You you have to respect that. Um, so why would a parent do that? Well, with lots of reasons. If there is a parent, okay. So for example, um, you know, if you have a, a child that has maybe disowned their parent or has been, um, you know, very absent or, you know, a a very non-active participant. Um, We see that a lot where, you know, one sibling does a lot more for the other. Um, You know, one sibling does more for the parents. Yeah, sorry. Like one, one sibling does, does much more for, for the parent than the other. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I know that, well, I'm not going to, mention families, but I, I know that, uh, I know of a few different scenarios, um, you know, of, I guess, you know, two children and, and one of the children has, you know, taken the side of 
well, in this case, it was because of a, a divorce. And unfortunately, you know, siblings took sides and which is unfortunately very common. And uh, yeah, there's a situations, many situations where, you know, one of the children takes the side of, of one parent and, and this is, you know, the child takes the side of the other parent. And many times a child decides to kind of disassociate themselves from a particular parent. And in those instances where you have, let's say, two children and, and one of your children wants to have nothing to do with you, then why should they be entitled to your money? You know, give it to the, yeah. the, the child who has been there for you in, you know, sickness and health and invites you over for, mm -hmm. for dinner every week, that type of thing. That You know, those are the children that, you know, should be, let's say, rewarded. But, you know, there is an acknowledgement to for individuals or, or you know, for, for children that, that play an active role in their parents' lives that, that you know, genuinely care for them and, and, you know, provide assistance to them. So why shouldn't they receive a little bit more if they went sort of, I wouldn't say above and beyond the call of duty, because obviously you do that anyway for your parents. But, you know, it, some people do more than others. And, you know, if, if, if you make that decision to provide more to one over the other, then you should have that right. Like it, it's, it shouldn't be that expectation. Okay. So what about all things being equal in terms of that? Like you're saying sometimes there's an estranged kid yeah. and, and there's a divorce and, and that, that, you know, one parent is sided with versus another. And there's probably a separate inheritance potentially coming from each parent. What about in a scenario where it's, there isn't a divorce and all things being equal, both kids are, you know, good kids and, their and their parents want to leave the money behind. That's their. They've decided they're going to leave their money behind to the kids. Is it? Is it right, or should they still divvy it up in a different way? Well, again, I guess that that's an individual decision based on you know your your view as that parent. I think if you have a good relationship, let's say for argument's sake, you have two kids and you have an excellent relationship with both your children. Then yeah, I think it's fair that that each each child gets gets their own you know gets a, a fairly equal um, allotment of money. And is it unfair if they don't? I don't know. That's a that's a I great question. It, it might be. I it think might it be. I, th yeah. I think that that's an example where it could cause a little bit of resentment. Little, well, and that's little the bit key anger, part. Yeah. Is the is the what what are you doing? What effect as parents are you having on your legacy? If you are to leave behind a different proportion of your of your you know your what you're leaving behind, what what are you what effect is that having on your children after you're gone? Yeah, no, you're right. That 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 could be very divisive if you make that decision to say, okay, so and so is getting seventy five percent, the other person is getting twenty five percent, but you had an excellent relationship with both your kids. What I'm saying is that, you know, if you had a very strange relationship with a child or you just, you know, there was a lot of friction or that, right. that child just did not wish to play a large role in, in your life, then, yeah, I, I think you are you are within your means to say, no, I don't think that person should receive a, a, a full allotment um, that, you know, the child that did more for me that that wants to be in my life should be rewarded. I'm reading a book right now. This is partially where I'm 
coming up with this topic. It's uh, I think it's The Millionaire Next Door, which is a f- pretty famous book. A lot of people know it. Sort of like there's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's The Millionaire Next Door. And I believe it's in Millionaire Next Door that they say that doctors are among the most financially in bad shape that out of all professionals. And the reason for that is quite often it's assumed by by people that doctors are making lots of money and are are just naturally going to be financially successful because of it. That one thing that they've found in studies is that in families where there's a doctor is one of the kids. So, you know, three kids, one's a doctor, the other's a uh, a plumber and a and a I'll say just like a, a corporate worker, an office worker, that the doctors tend to get less inheritances from their parents because it's assumed that they don't need the money. Yeah, that's a good point where yeah, you, you can run into some issues where some people may be, oh, you know, why is he getting a why is that individual getting, you know, their their full allotment of of inheritance? Because yeah, they're they're a doctor. They don't just they don't need the money. They're they're rich in their own means. Mm-hmm. So, which is not always true. Yeah, because there's a lot of other areas where doctors are assumed doctors are expected to be more charitable than other people. They're ex- just they're expected to drive more expensive cars. They're expected expected to look more successful. So this was an interesting thing that I found out about doctors, and I'm sure it's other professions as well. But um, I guess that brings comes down to the other question, which is if you have sibling or sorry offspring who, uh, you know, let's say there's four kids, one is a doctor, one is a, a corporate lawyer, one is a a kid that's just never been able to find a good job and is struggling, and the other one's somewhere in the middle of all that. Does does that affect, should parents allocate accordingly to financial position mm. of the kids? Yeah, and again, it's what you said before, it could, something like that could create a lot of resentment, um, a lot of division, you know, a lot of infighting amongst those siblings once the parent has, has obviously deceased. Um, so that, It is one of the most sensitive things yeah. when it comes to... Uh, siblings and how they get along is i mean money and when money become everyone thinks they get along well and then when something like someone passing i I have a friend of mine who's uh, four siblings in that family and uh there the the mother is uh very well along in life and and has a sizable inheritance that's probably coming and uh there's some uh there's some, what do you call this when you do this with the fingers? Like there's some fa- members of that family just waiting some, to, to bite down on what's coming. Some, some jockeying for position. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. And even saying things like, well, do we have to wait that long? Like, so I'm terrible. I, I guess just to kind of wrap up this inheritance story, I want to tell a, a, a funny story. And, and this is, this is, this is a true story. So this would be, I guess it would be my great uncle or great great uncle um who lived uh this was in england this is probably gotta be 1940s 1950s um yeah i think great uncle or anyway the the point being is that yeah it was um uh an uncle who lived in in england who i guess um he didn't i guess his motive was that he kind of um curried favor with the elderly folks 
um, around town. He lived in a, in a small town in England. And, um, you know, he would suck up to the, these old, old people and, you know, do favors for them and do their taxes for them and run errands and all that kind of stuff with the idea that he would be included within the will, mm. um, that, that he would one day be, be rewarded. Um, and I think at, at some point he, he probably was rewarded. Um, but one of the funny stories was that, um, you know, this one day, this, this old guy that he was uh, doing favors for is like, you know, I really appreciate all the work you've done and your, your reward is, is coming now. So, you know, here, come, come to my shed at the, at the end of the garden and, and I'll, I'll give you, Jeez, give you your prize. Anyway, it's something to the 12 gauge of, shotgun you know, to the head or. So he, he, he went into this, this shed thinking that it was going to be, uh, you know, bags of money or you know, some expensive thing that he was going to inherit or is to be gifted upon by this old guy. And it was uh, bottles of pee. Like, I shit you not, this guy had saved bottles of, of, of his urine in this shed at the end of the garden. And and he bequeathed these bottles ah. of, of pee to my, my great uncle. And this is a true story. I, I kid you not, this is true. So well, yeah. you said, shit me not, right? Yeah. <laughs> a useful choice of expression yes, there. Yes, no. All right. Pun, well, pun was clearly intended. that. So the point, there, the point being is that. There was some mental challenges there. Come on. Yeah, there was. But still, the point being is that, you know, if, if, you, if you treat your parents well and, you know, you, you, you treat them nicely and include them in your lives, maybe you too can inherit a shed full of pee. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are we going to keep this in the episode? Yes, we should. <laughs> I'm a, I got to edit that out. No. Come on. <laughs> Well, well, that's a great place to wrap up, yeah, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> what we're watching and listening to, I think I mentioned before, I really got into the Drive to Survive series on Netflix, which is about F1 racing. Never was an F1 fan, didn't understand how anyone could get excited about cars going around a track in a, not in a circle, but in a, you know, in a circuit that, you know, 57 laps or whatever it is. And uh, I watched that documentary and I thought it was fantastic. And last week, for the first time, I actually watched a live F1 race, not in person, uh, but on TV, and I really enjoyed it. Really? I thought it was awesome. Yes. Okay. Actually, I lied. It's not the first time I've watched a live one. It's the second time. I watched the last race of last season, the 2021 season, and really enjoyed it too. But I just wanted to point out that this was the first time I actually turned a race on from start to finish voluntarily to watch and absolutely loved it. Hmm. Wow. That's, I'm a huge F1 fan now. That's pretty cool. Are you uh, maybe going to check out the Montreal Grand Prix? I was thinking about it. Uh, I was looking at tickets a couple weeks ago, but they're like 700 bucks. Oh, really? Just oh, wow. I didn't realize right general that. admission tickets. So it's, it's expen It's a very expensive sport to, to watch, to participate in. Yeah. It's yeah. uh but I'd love to, I mean, I think for those out there, those listeners who just were like me, who could not imagine watching an F1 race and, and enjoying it, I really recommend the F1 Drive to Survive, the Drive to Survive series on Netflix. It is so good. And you get to see all the behind the scenes stuff that goes on, the money involved, the personalities of the drivers, the personality of the owners, the 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 equipment the fact that mercedes has 1500 people on their team that support their race race cars yeah i guess and the drivers 
1,500 people wow. are employed by Mercedes to, to work on the race element of what they do. And they're the biggest of all the teams. Mm -hmm. Like I think Red Bull probably has like 300 people. Yeah. But can you believe that? Like even 300 people behind the scenes, amazing. Well, I guess when we think of internationals, when we think of organized sports, you know, we're used to Major League Baseball, which is, you know, U.S. and Canada, NHL, Canada, U.S. Um, you know, I think Formula One is truly a worldwide sport in the sense that I don't think we understand that, you know, every single country follows it. And it's truly an international event where, you know, the races are held literally all over the world. Um, so yeah, when you truly have, um, you know, a worldwide audience that goes without saying that there's going to be a huge, huge amount of money that goes into it and a huge amount of money to be made. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm sure the, the sponsorship dollars are, are incredible. Um, so the yeah, politics the, are, are pretty big too. Oh, like, I'm sure it is. Uh, yeah. I guess I got two things though. I want to say number one, I don't understand how people could really care about this if they haven't seen the series. I still maintain that position that if it were not for seeing the, the drive to survive series on Netflix, I don't know how you could get into it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. Not to this, I just, and there's people out there who are big fans and they didn't need Drive to Survive to get there, but I'd love to hear from those people. What is it really, how did you get into it? What what got you attracted to it? And for those that did watch it, who were those people, did it enhance your experience with watching it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well. Do you watch it? Like, do you, do you, um, I've watched are the, you interested in it at all? I, I've watched the occasional race on TV, but I don't make a, a point of watching it, but, um, you're right. If if watching this documentary kind of opens your eyes and makes you appreciate the the skill level and and the the grandeur of of Formula One, then yeah, I would certainly be be open to sort of educating myself on that. Um, yeah, and, and you're right. Watching a race, you sort of watch it with with new eyes. You you realize, oh, that, absolutely. You know, it really is a, a pretty phenomenal event. Um, and it, it's as I said, it's it's a truly international, worldwide. Um, following that, uh, you know, captivates truly, you know, millions and millions of people everywhere. It's really brilliant in a way that they they did this series because I think if you if you think about sports and why do you, what what's in it for me? Why do I care? Well, you watch a baseball team or a hockey team or even a soccer team because it's your hometown or your home country. And there's something in it for you that you care, you're connected to it. And I know there's people that watch sports teams that aren't necessarily from those places, especially Premier League and things like that. But what the F1 Drive to Survive did is it made me care. Because whether Lewis Hamilton won a race or Valerie Bottas won a race or uh, Ocon or, or um, what's the other guy, the one that Lewis Hampton keeps battling with Verstappen didn't really matter to me. It's like, I don't care about these guys. Like, okay, great to see Lewis Hamilton. I think, I don't know how many black racers there are out there. Certainly he's the most successful racer of all time and he happens to be black. That's awesome. But what that series did is it made me care. And that's, I think when you watch a race now and you know what's going on in the background, I care. That's why I enjoy mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and there's a couple of uh, Canadian drivers on the circuit, as far as I recall. 
There so, are, yeah. Not that great, though. Maybe they're great, but they just haven't won anything yet. Yeah. I think Lance Stroll, I think, is, uh, has podiumed once, maybe. But, uh, yeah, the, I mean, there's Jacques Villeneuve. I think he was F1, and he is he's one of the most successful Canadian racers, for sure. Um, okay. But generally, the Canadians don't show up too much in, in the race scene. Okay, so your your interest in Formula One now would that transcend into other racing forums? Like, sir, for example, NASCAR. Would you watch a NASCAR <sighs> race and like be into it? Good point. No, huh. I have no interest in NASCAR. Like, I watching that's even you know the oval or whatever. Like, God. I, yeah. But but I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, as I was with F1. So. Maybe again, it's I have no attachment to any of the drivers. I've never physically been to a race. Mm-hmm. So that's something else. Like I was able to get so into this and I didn't even, I've never actually been to a race, but the series gave me a bit of a taste, maybe what it might be like. But I feel if I actually went to an F1 race, it would take it into the next level. Mm. So maybe NASCAR or other races, I wouldn't be interested in it if I went and saw it or if I watched a documentary on NASCAR. That was similar to the F1. What Maybe you, what you should do is that um, they they have local races. So the the old well, I guess the what we a lot of people refer to as is most sport or the the Canadian Tire Racetrack or whatever it is. It's uh, just north mm-hmm. outside of Peterborough, I believe. Um, yeah. they have like amateur races or. I guess amateur, but I guess it's also sort of like a semi-professional league as like well. Recreational. Like a recreational. Semi-pro. Yeah, yeah semi-pro yeah. league. And and they, they do have races throughout the summer. Um, have you been? I haven't, but I've often, I've often thought that maybe I should check it out because it's not that far. Yeah. Um, yeah, Let's might, do it. Let's bring the microphones down to the racetrack. Yeah, it might be a cool experience. So, yeah, if, if you're maybe that might be a first step in, in figuring out if this is something that you're legitimately interested in, you know, go check out one of the local races. And hey, if, if you love what you see, then, you know, jump in, uh, jump in full board with uh, following F1. So, the, uh, the show that I've been watching, it's uh, actually a documentary. And I have to add, I have to add, I have to go pee so badly right now so you have to be quick okay all right well are you gonna save it up in bottles for me <laughs> go ahead what are you watching okay Paul? um okay well i'm gonna really take my time in describing this yeah, yeah. well i squirm here okay. yeah go ahead so what i'm watching i got the power to shut this off okay so, you're just uh, you're just delaying it here come on let me get to the point so what i've been watching is a documentary series about the food that made america and it's an interesting documentary to show how certain brands um, or, or I guess, in, inventors of, of food um, have sort of came to prominence. So there's an episode about uh, submarine sandwiches. So, hmm. you know, the, the rise of, of Subway sandwiches and in Blimpy, which is more of a, a U.S. Um, Subway mm-hmm. shop. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting to see how you know, the, the rise of, of certain types of food that, you know, for example, sub submarine sandwiches prior to like 1960 was very much like a regionalized, you know, considered like an Italian food. It wasn't by no means mainstream. So, you know, it was restaurateurs like the, you know, the, the guy behind the, uh, the subway empire, he, he kind of 
helped to bring the Subway sandwich to become mainstream food. Um, you know, another episode that I watched was about uh, ice cream. So the rise of, of Dairy Queen and, and Carvel ice cream. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, how, you know, it became a mainstream food. Um, and a lot of that was because of technology, um, you know, like the, the advent of, of soft serve ice cream. Um, it wasn't until they became, you know, refrigeration techniques, um, you know, advancements in, in you know, food storage and, and you know, um, you know, machines that could uh, create soft serve ice cream and make it portable, um, you know, mass produced. It wasn't until that technology came around that, um, you know, these restaurants were able to sort of gain their foothold and, and become quite um, you know, quite prosperous. So yeah, it was interesting to see kind of like the, the rise of, of Dairy Queen and, and, you know, the mistakes that they had made and, and how they kind of became, you know, the number one ice cream shop in all of, all of the world for that matter. Um, so yeah, there's, there's quite a few different episodes out there. Um, yeah. And it, and it Is talks about the food that built America. Yeah. Sorry. The, the food that built America. Yeah. I think okay. there's one. And where about, do you watch it? Where do you see it? I believe it's on Netflix. It's, uh, oh, actually, no, it's, it's like it's, it's a history channel. It's, yeah. Production. Sorry. It's, it's on the history channel. So we've actually PVR'd it when we've seen it on, on the history channel. Um, so, so we might not be able to get this unless you have cable. Yeah, correct. Um, unless maybe you might be able to download it if you have maybe the history.com website, mm-hmm. you might mm-hmm. be able to, to download it. Um, so yeah, I'd have to check to see if it's on like Netflix or, you know, Prime or one of those uh, streaming channels. Um, so, yeah, right. I, I see that you've you've opened up the Wikipedia page to see that. But, yeah, it was yeah. interesting, you know, talking about, like, the Pizza Wars. Um, Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kreme. Yeah, Hershey's Chocolates. So it's it's really interesting to, to see where a lot of mainstream foods that we just kind of take for granted, where where they originate from. And it's, it's quite... It, it, it is quite fascinating to see the progression of food. You know, if you were to go back in time, you know, like 50 years ago, um, you know, or, or 80 years ago, like how different our food selection would be. You know, I think if, if and I we may have hmm. sort of touched on this in some previous episodes, you know, in terms of, you know, differences in, um, in, in various generations. I think if you were to go back in time, let's say 75 years, I bet you that the the selection of food would be very, very, very limited. Like, I think we take for granted as to how much selection of food that we have available to us these days, you know, oh, whether it's... Well, in, yeah, especially in a first world country, right? Yeah. Like, and, I, and I wonder, this could be another topic, but uh, is there too much selection? Like, you know, it could maybe be, this is yeah. part of the problems in our diet is that we've got all these pr- produced and processed foods. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the the show, the one about McDonald's. What do you remember? What that one's called with the the franchise or something? Oh, the movie was uh, the founder. Um, it starred yes. um, uh, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, by the I've way. watched it a couple times. Excellent movie. I highly recommend that. But uh, yeah, the, the the rise of of McDonald's that in itself is a very fascinating story. Um. So yeah, it's that was a very well done movie and and really explained you know the rise of McDonald's and the various challenges, um, you know. And, well, and the one it, thing I'm glad is that uh, these places have restrooms so that people like me can use them when they need to. 
Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing, yeah. And I don't store it in my shed. <laughs> well, you should. That way, some way, someday someone might inherit that. <laughs> All right, I got to go. This right. was good. Um, we'll be back soon, and we'll have to think about our Windsor episode, whether we aired or not. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you want to hear Paul and I under the influence of a few beverages, um, let us know, and maybe that will influence whether we actually publish this episode. Yeah, chime in. Let that, us know. That episode. All right. You have a good week. Yeah, you too. We'll see you.